Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, February the 6th, 2023. Uh, last week, we did a good show, interesting show, with a young writer, young novelist, Eleanor Shearer. She has a post-slavery West Indian novel called um, River Sing Me Home, but it might have actually been called Sea or Ocean Sing Me Home. She's a, a water lover, a sea lover, an ocean lover. Uh, and as she says, she splits her time between London and the south coast uh, of England, uh, living in Ramsgate, because she never wants to go too long without seeing the sea. The sea has enormous significance for her. Um, my guest today is rather like Eleanor. She lives by the sea, this time not in Ramsgate, but in The Hague in the Netherlands. Uh, she is um, what she self-describes as an ocean advocate, a water sea advocate. Um, she is the founder of a group called Women for Oceans, a fascinating new group. Um, and she has a book out, just out, it's called The Ocean and Us. It's a book which uh, she edited, bringing together a number of authorities on oceans, all female authorities. Uh, and the book came out last week. Uh, her name is Farah uh, Obadullah, and she is joining us from The Hague. Uh, Farah, um, before we get on to the book, tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you, and, and I'm perhaps misdescribing this when did you fall in love with the ocean with the sea thanks andrew pleasure to be here and uh, no that's that's not misdescribing it i would say um i mean actually i i fell in awe of the ocean but uh maybe that's the same as being in love with the ocean but it, no i think awe is a better word actually it's 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 a good word yeah i mean i was really young and and so i i, I must have been a toddler because we moved out here I think in 1980. So I, I was, you know, two and a half or something like this. But what I remember was that um, that the sea was just awesome. It was, you know, the, you know, the North Sea, um, Andrew. I, I perhaps, but um, it can. I be do. Really uh, in fact, I know that. I know the seafront in The Hague. It's one of my favorite uh, walks. It's absolutely beautiful there. I mean, again, not beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. I guess is a better word. Well, yeah, and especially in 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 the in in the storms and uh, you know the big sort of grey Dutch typical skies and everything else. So I just I fell in awe of the of the sea when I was young, and and I've always you know been drawn to it. And we we lived in several countries when I was growing up, and um, also by the sea in West Africa. And so uh, yeah, I I was always fascinated by the ocean. I always wanted to know what was underneath the waves, and um, and yeah, I always felt that it was so fierce and so mysterious and everything that I could, everything that fueled my fantasy uh, came from the sea. So. I don't want to make too many trite uh, assumptions about why it is that perhaps women have stronger feelings for the sea than uh, men. Uh, you're, as I said, you're the founder of uh, Women for Oceans. Tell me a little bit about this, the thinking behind it, what you're trying to do at Women for Oceans. Yeah, so I never really set out to, to set up an organization and especially not one that was focused on women because I, I was only ever focused on the ocean. 
um, understanding it, protecting it, and so on. Um, but in in all my travels, and you know, whether that was to to communities, coastal communities, or whether it was to corridors of power at the United Nations or or here in the Netherlands, what always struck me was the the sort of skewed uh, demographic. It was mostly um, men that were deciding policy and 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 uh, and legislation. And and as an a biologist, sort of uh, for the the blah blah class, right? If you like, I mean, I the thing is for me is that as a biologist, I I think, well, what have we done so wrong as a species, or what do we do that's, that's so at odds with the rest of the natural world? And I, the only thing I could think of was, well, we've been oppressing one half of of what it means to be human for so long, um, and we don't properly embrace the spectrum of diversity of you know what it means to be human, and so. It was really that thinking that got me trying to sort of find new ways of elevating, oh, well, of, of getting new perspectives at the table, if you like, uh, when it came to ocean policy. And, and that's why I set up Women for Oceans. That and also because all the, the, the people that I saw portrayed in the ocean space as being heroes for the sea were mostly white men. And, and as a change maker, and I've traveled the world and, and really worked in communities everywhere, what struck me was that if we keep portraying a uh, a white hero then we're missing we're not we're missing the audience we're trying to reach and just like i would not want to be told by someone from anywhere from uh, from spain or uganda or anywhere else how to live my life here in 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 the hague it the same is true of anywhere else so to have tv shows that talk you know about not dynamite fishing or you know stopping slavery at sea or shark finning and so on we need to we need to build up local heroes and, you know, and um, put those in the spotlight because then we reach the people we need to be reaching. And so that's, that's kind of the background. Um, yeah. And- it's interesting that, um, you know, I don't want to sound too politically correct because of course there are men who are just as credible when it comes to this stuff. And I'm sure there are some very destructive or women involved with destructive organizations and technologies, but it, Listening to you brings to mind a, a conversation, a very interesting conversation I had a couple of years ago with Erin Brockovich, of course, a very famous environmental activist in America. Uh, and she'd just written a book about the water crisis. Uh, and the book was called Superman Isn't Coming. So I guess your book is similar in that sense, in terms of its messaging. Superman isn't coming. So we need to all roll up our, our sleeves and, and, and address the crisis. Is that fair for us? I think so. I mean, I, I you know, um, power begins with knowledge, and uh, and I, I think many people, at least in my, over the years, I, what I've experienced is people wanting to make a change, wanting to make a difference for the ocean, but not knowing where to start, not daring to be a voice for the ocean because they feel ignorant or they feel like they don't know enough to be able to speak to these issues, and so I, you know, beyond plastic pollution, there's been there's this big gap of knowledge. Right, we did a. Uh... Actually, interestingly enough, we did a show again a couple of years ago with a young plastics activist, Hannah Tester. Uh, she had she had a book out, Taking on the Plastics Crisis. It, it was a good show again. I mean, she was a very impressive yeah. young woman, and, and she focused on the impact, particularly to the wildlife uh, of, of the oceans. I mean, it, it's it's a horrible uh, story. So uh, we also did a uh, we did a, a show with a scientist, Giulio Bocelletti. Uh, in 2021, in September, he had a book out, Water, a Biography. If you'd written a book, 
the oceans a biography how miserable would that biography be i mean i know this is a complicated story but could you could you give us a brief narrative um for our, of 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 a bio of the biography, particularly in twenty twenty three, of the current state of the oceans of the world. Ooh, well, I don't know if I can do it very poetically. And well, I mean, we're not looking for poetry; we're looking for accuracy. Right, but um, and, so uh, in, and uh, not too long, you know. Obviously, you could you could read a book about that too. Right, right. No, okay. So, just very briefly, the ocean, as most of us know, it covers over seventy percent of our planet. Um, we actually live on, on an ocean planet. Um, we derive uh, things like the oxygen that we breathe. More than half of the oxygen in the atmosphere today comes from the ocean. We derive our you know, livelihoods from it. We uh, uh, get fish, food, security from the ocean. Um, and of course, the ocean buffers us against the worst of climate change. The ocean is, you know, takes, absorbs 90% of the heat in the atmosphere and something like 25% of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But only a healthy ocean does this. And only a healthy ocean has been able to sort of sustain life as we know it on Earth. And that health of the ocean is now seriously compromised. Um, by the United Nations own estimates, up to 90% of all fish stocks are either fully fished or overfished. Um, plastic pollution, you just mentioned it, nine to uh, eight to 10 uh, million tons of plastic ends up in our ocean each year. And this number is not decreasing um, despite the many years of campaigning and awareness raising on plastic pollution. Um, and of course, climate change is taking a heavy toll on the ocean. So we've, we've seen you know, reports that the ocean is losing its oxygen content, which of course has serious consequences on, on life in the ocean, um, but also it's acidifying and, and this is uh, impacting corals and, and shellfish that rely on, uh, on, you know, on, on calcium uh, for for building their skeletons and their structures, and of course, with acid, this you know becomes more susceptible and is is uh, prone to kind of dissolving and weakening. Um, and the oceans are warming, and of course, this impacts life in the ocean. So it's not a very great place where we're at. And some of the estimates, like for example, losing our corals in the next fifty years um, to yeah, again, ocean acidification impacting shellfish, which means food security. And and so it, it, we're in a we're in a serious situation, and we do need all hands on deck to turn things around because most of the most of the planet is ocean. So without a healthy ocean, we we will be the losers in the end. Well, the all hands on deck. Maybe we need to get off get off our ships altogether. Um, you, your book is ambitious. You say that um, you regularly get requests from people asking where they can learn more about the ocean and how our actions can affect it. And every time I struggle to point to a single, easy to follow, comprehensive resource. Is that what this book is, The Ocean and Us? Um, is it an attempt to provide an introduction to all the issues you talk about, climate change, fisheries and food, ocean pollution, th threatened habitats? Um, is it for beginners or is it for experts? No, it's, for, it's meant for anyone with an interest in the ocean. Uh, it tries to be uh, accessible, so non-technical, not with uh, you know, all the jargon that, that the experts might use. But equally, it's for, I mean, even if you are an expert and you work on fish crimes or, I don't know, shipping ship or oil spills, you might not know about the other issues facing the ocean. So it's equally relevant for people that are already working in this space. Uh, but, but the initial 
a prompt for me to, be, to, to, to produce this book was actually from a nurse in Canada um, who, you know, has, he doesn't pretend to have any knowledge of the ocean or, you know, and, and yet she wanted to know where she could just learn more about the different threats. She only knew about plastic pollution and wanted to know what all these other threats are. And I could only think of websites and scientific papers to point her to. And I thought, no, this, is, this has got to be different. Um, but of course, every chapter is written by a de different expert. So the, 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 the level at, you know, I, I tried to edit it as to, to make it as simplistic as possible for the reader. Um, and so actually my parents read every single chapter to, to make sure it passed the layman's check. So I, I do hope that, uh, yes, that it is accessible to anyone that can. Well, I've it. been browsing through it so far and I'm very much a layman, lay person in this area. So it, uh, there's nothing that stumped me yet. So, uh, as you said, you've got a, a non-technical overview. Um, it deals both with pollution and with policy, and it's women-led and powered. Did you, um, did you, were you ever tempted to slip in a male to this? Did you, or, or were you absolutely determined only to have women writers in the book? I mean, I, I have a fabulous network of, of um, ocean experts, and they, they include men, obviously. So I, I've, I have um, wonderful male colleagues around the world and it was tempting but you know as much as there are so many books written where we don't talk about who has written them or who you know who the gen what the gender is of those of those people i i i really wanted this just to be a book about the ocean so it, regardless of whether it was written by men or women um, but because there's this network through women for oceans it was quite easy to tap into that expertise um and and then that became a unique selling point because it doesn't actually exist um at the moment so hopefully we reach a point where we don't have to even you know show off that it's women led or you know all written by women because it, it's really about the content um that's what matters the most yeah you 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 said uh, we must bring back healthy oceans our lives depend on it. it occurred to me um while you were talking about the ocean is we can't live without it uh, uh, an unhealthy ocean is a is an unhealthy species is that fair you know, absolutely. It's planet ocean. Um, yeah, I, th I think this is something that, you know, it's not in our curriculum at school. Uh, the ocean is something that we maybe associate our, our fish platter from or some our seafood platter and, and maybe a beautiful sunset and some snorkeling or whatever. But we don't really imagine that we live on an ocean planet. You know, we know from images from NASA, from space, that it is blue. But our own sort of experience of, 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 of Earth of planet earth is really more terrestrial and um and i think that you know that with but the ocean is what makes up the bulk of this planet so without it we you know it, it like i said it before it's it's it um it provides us with our you know with with it with everything from food to oxygen and it really sustains life on earth as we know it so the, the earth systems if you like depend on the ocean you know from from our weather to you know our climate the two two distinct things but from yeah, just the way our Earth functions right now is in large part uh, based on how the ocean is, is functioning. For uh, We did a show with the science fiction writer Annalee Newitz last week who imagines the future, 60,000 years in the future. And she imagines, a, she wrote a science fiction book called Terraformers, which imagines we'll have technology, we, humans, whoever we, that really means, will have technology that allows us to build and to, to, um, build uh, planets 
and uh, or, or almost solar systems in in a very sophisticated way from from uh, in a in a way that obviously today we can't really imagine. We also talked and we've done some shows on being able, having technology that allows us to talk to other species, to trees. Um, is it ever measurable in the future? A couple of questions in terms of perhaps thinking about the ocean in slightly science fictional terms. Will we ever have technology that would allow us to create or recreate the oceans? And can you ever imagine a time when we can talk, where we can communicate with oceans, with the water? You know, I'm, I'm someone that would never say never, right? We don't, I don't know what's possible. I think anything is possible in the future. I certainly think that as we, um, you know, as, as we deplete resources on land, whether that's through space and overpopulation and everything else, we, we are going to encroach more on into and onto the ocean. I think that's going to happen in perhaps even in this century where we might even be inhabiting the ocean, whether that's underwater or on the water. Um, that's that, always one of the, it's, it's always been one of our great dreams. Yeah, it has. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, what is that? 20,000 leagues under the sea. Atlantis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I see that happening. And to do so successfully, I do think, you know, uh, we will need to communicate with, well, anyway, with our fellow beings that we inhabit this earth with. So I think um, regardless of whether we, we go to the ocean or not, um, as part of our effort to restore our relationship with, um, with, with the natural world, we will need to find a way and we are already doing that in, in the scientific community, find a way to sort of communicate and understand nature better. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I, I, I again, I, I imagine anything is possible 60,000 years from now, God knows what, what, what it will look like, but I, I yeah. Um, if yeah, it's imagining uh, colonizing planets and creating oceans and seas. I'm not sure if that's a utopian yeah. or dystopian vision. You've got a lot of pieces in uh, The Ocean and Us, for uh, you're the editor, so you're, in a sense, the mother of the book. Um, I know this is a hard question. I always ask it, and people always try to avoid the question. But do you, is there one piece in The Ocean and Us that, I mean, if, if, if someone only had time to read one piece, which one would it be? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, well, a lot of the chapters are, are, you know, they're all kind of connected, aren't they? You've got sections on climate change in the ocean, on uh, fisheries and food, on uh, ocean pollution, on um, threatened and at risk habitats. So probably taking one out. But is there one that somehow captures the spirit of the book? It's a really hard one to, to answer, but just just to say that I think every chapter has, you know, is 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 very much giving the the overview of the problem, right? But there are some chapters that really go into sort of the challenges that we have in addressing those problems. So that towards the end of the book, there's an there's a section about um, how, uh, you know, what the different barriers are to uh, to engaging in in ocean conservation, and and so I think that's probably a, a something which is unique and really resourceful for for um you know for institutions for employers universities and so on and just really interesting for anybody to understand the inter intersectionality uh in environmentalism or in ocean conservation you know that it, it really our whole background is is um uh ref not reflected but is you know matters when it comes to how in how far we can be effective 
in, in ocean conservation. So I think that's probably the most sort of um, interesting kind of pioneering sort of uh, chapter in, in, in the book. Who's um, it by? So it's by three, um, it, it was an effort led by, well, three, three uh, women, um, Cinda Scott, as she's an African-American woman, and, uh, and then there's um, Alvine Dutochi, sorry, uh, who's, she is half Cameroonian, half French, and Angela Martin, who's uh, British. Um, and I really wanted a chapter in the book that discusses the, the barriers that we face in the ocean space, uh, whether that's based on your gender or your ethnicity or, you know, cultural background, Jeff, and, and all these aspects, because they matter. They matter in how far we, you know, we, we are able to, um, to, to have our, our perspectives included in, in decision making. So uh, that is interesting. And then, of course, also oceans and human health. I think that's also a very interesting chapter because... Um, it really brings home the fact that our well-being depe depends, wh wherever you are in the world, our well-being depends on a healthy ocean. And I think that's going to be interesting for people too, because, you know, the other chapters are very sort of informative, like, oh, really, what does it mean when, you know, when we say the blue economy or what does it mean um, when we talk about oil spills? And then the third chapter, um, but of course I could I could go on about all of, the, all of them, but the third chapter, which I think is also very um kind of novel topic that is only just emerging is marine animal welfare. Uh, so this is, um, you know, an emerging science, really. People have always thought of, 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 you know, well, not even always, but only recently has animal welfare been sort of, uh, you know, um, considered in, in, in uh, whatever, in, in animal husbandry and in, in, in the way we, we treat animals. But we've never really considered fish and marine life in, um, in that, and so this chapter discusses the science around that, the emerging science, and how fish feel and remember and and are you know show um, compassion for one another, um, and really. Yeah, just, we've done a number of shows on animal rights, on learning yeah. from other species. So this very much fits into yeah. the current zeitgeist on this stuff. Um, you write on Women's for Ocean a kind of manifesto. In a way, it's to governments. In a way, it's to corporations. In it's a way to uh, individuals. So perhaps you might address those three. What would you like governments to learn from the ocean and us? Are they really letting us down, whether it's national governments or international organizations like the United Nations? Um, they, they are letting us down. Um, if you just look at the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is basically the framework for how we manage the oceans globally, uh, that has left out almost half our planet. That's left out uh, so, so as I said, the ocean is 70% of the planet. Well, 64% of that, which is almost half of our planet, has been uh, left, you know, basically as a wild west without any comprehensive governance. Um, these are the international waters, so they're beyond the national jurisdiction of any one country. So things that happen there, you know, it's difficult to hold anybody to account. And um, so what I, what I would like governments to do, I mean, right now, there's this kind of final negotiation around a treaty that is supposed to protect biodiversity on the high seas. And actually the book talks about that as well. There's a chapter on ocean governance. Um, but what I'd like governments to take home from this is really the interconnectivity. You know, it's, it's maybe a, an overused word because we know that we live on an interconnected planet and there are no borders and everything. But the sooner we start thinking of our Earth system as, as, as one big ecosystem instead of trying to divide it up into parts, 
you know, the sooner we can get on track to kind of restoring um, the earth uh, and, 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 and the systems that sustain us. So I, I'd, like, I'd like governments to take home that, that all these things are connected and that laws should not be sort of so kind of siloed from each other. Because, for example, what happens at sea on a ship, uh, you know, has to pass through one convention, whereas once it, you know, uh, impacts as another part of the ocean or, or an, a, a, a economic, economic exclusive zone, then another treaty comes into play, but they never talk to each other. Right. So, so we've done a number of shows on, well, many shows actually on capitalism, on neoliberalism. We did one show written by a couple of academics on the oceans and capitalism and the nature of the capitalist system on the oceans. Do you think uh, within our ca current free market capitalist system, we can address the crisis of the oceans or do we need an alternative economic system here? This seems to be something that really divides um, activists. Some believe strongly that we need a new economic system. Others say that we have technologies and companies which are responsible, which can actually address our current crisis within the market system? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the short answer would be, yes, we need a new economic system. But the, but the reality is we, ha we have to live within the current one until, until we can change that, right? That change is not going to happen overnight. So um, whilst we should be pushing for the new economic system at the same time, whilst operating in the one that we currently have, we need to get better at... Um, you know, at, at understanding that we 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 have certain practices, we just have to stop even within this in within this model. So, one very uh, good example of that, for example, is uh, deep sea mining, which is an industry that doesn't yet happen yet. It doesn't sorry that doesn't yet happen on the high seas. Uh, that could happen in as little as a year's time. It's a new form of ecocide because we know that it's going to cause irreversible damage to the sea. We know that it'll happen in an area where there will be very little accountability, no possibility of auditing or regulating and enforcing properly. So if, you know, if we can already take steps to show that, you know, we, as, as that we can unite as a, as a global world on, on issues, especially if they happen on in areas that are not, that don't belong to any one of us, but to all of us, like our global commons, then, you know, that I think already sort of um, paves the way to a new, perhaps to a new economic system. But I, the two need to happen in parallel and, Im and immediately we need to be working towards achieving both. Because otherwise, yeah, we're running out of time. We certainly are. We're running out of time on this show as well. For our, and, and this is always my last or penultimate question. Uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in terms of these discussions, we always talk about it at a meta level, very big issues, governments, corporations, huge existential crisis. And there can be a lot of people watching and listening and saying, yeah, I kind of agree with everything for us saying I, I would like to get involved, but I don't know what I can do. I don't have a lot of time. What can people do? Is it simply giving up plastics? Is it um, obviously buying your book, joining organizations like yours? How can people get involved and and but in contrast with someone like yourself who's dedicated their lives to this uh still have another life yeah i mean it's gosh that's a question that always comes up and it's it, it, i understand the helplessness that some people feel but what this book also tries to do is at the end of every chapter there are suggestions for what the reader can do um what i found uh you know it, it, and and that's 
across probably most issues is that the, 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 the biggest thing people can do aside from their individual actions, you know, the choosing, you know, using their wallet to make choices, et cetera, buying sustainable seafood, avoiding single use plastics. The biggest single thing people can do is to vote for those that actually care about the ocean and that actually want or our planet, our livable planet. Um, that's the biggest single thing we can do and, and, and start organize. If you have the time, start organizing, start communicating about these issues. And I appreciate not everybody can do that. Uh, but that's why the tips in the book are really aimed at sort of empowering people to 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 at least do what they can within within their means uh, to to make changes because the the change might seem insignificant, um, and it's true you know we need to get everybody to make those changes to have an impact. But it but just by making the change, you're signaling to your elected uh, officials and to your supermarkets and whoever else you engage with that you want to see things done differently. Finally, uh, Farah, um, let's begin where we, let's end where we began. You talked about your awe of the sea. We did a show with um, Carl Safina, another yep. very influential naturalist um, who, who, who just has a book on the importance of humility in the face of nature. He's not alone. I wonder whether that's essential to the awe. When you walk along uh, the beach in The Hague, the seafront, there is a a humility. We, we recognize our own insignificance in the face of the sea. Many books and poems, beginning with Homer, began, uh, have, have addressed this issue. Is, is, do you think humility the key to rethinking our relationship with, with, with the ocean, with the sea? So, certainly something you have. It's almost um, a, a religious quality, a spirituality. Um, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it... Um... You can't feel anything but um, humility and 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 you know your your own insignificance when you're walking along the seaside. So it it does put it, whatever hap, whatever goes through my mind when I go to the beach. It suddenly just seems it seems to fall into place. Like it's 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 and and I think if if more people could spend time by the sea or in nature, um, a lot of our anxieties and our stress would actually disappear. Or at least be alleviated a bit. Of course, you know we we still live in this world and within the systems we have. But um, and that's why it's so important to to you know this this chapter on oceans and human well-being. If 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 we can feel the awe of nature, I think we would be in a better position to do something about it. Um, there's a great book also uh, by Karen Armstrong. Maybe you know it, Sacred Nature. Um, and she talks a lot about the spirituality and, and the origins of each religion, each of the big religions and how they actually embrace nature. So in, before we decided to assign, uh, you know, a corner of, of, of the heavens for our, you know, for whoever it is that, we, that you know, for whichever God we worship, um, actually nature, actually the, divi the, the, the divine was in the natural world around us. And if we can rediscover that or re you know, tap into that feeling again, then I think we would care for our natural world a lot better than we do um, at the moment. So um, definitely to humility. <laughs> yeah.